Kia ora, I'm Jane. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and you who. Hey, another week. Welcome <sighs> to this, the room of silence, <laughs> the cone of silence. Well, this said in the podcasting room stays in the podcasting room, except that we put it out into the world. But that's my podcasting room. Uh, yeah, it's a bespoke recording studio in our mansion. <laughs> in our dreams. Okay, so tell me about your week. How, how are you doing? How am I doing? I'm feeling a bit frantic. I seem to have accidentally have bought a house. <laughs> Woohoo! So quite a lot to organise. I mean, it's still... The offer's been accepted, so there's still a lot of, like, due diligence to be done and stuff, so I don't want to get too excited, because you never know. Yeah, you never well, know. I mean, I, I've, I've put an offer in and then found out that there was a shit ton of asbestos. Yeah, so you don't want that. But yeah, so trying to get all that sorted, I guess we'll know in the next two weeks whether it's actually our house or not. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just, like, taking up a lot of brain space. But on the plus side, while we've got this offer in, it means I don't have to go to any open homes this weekend, which is freeing a lot of mental real estate. No, literally, like, it's so much fucking faff, hey? Yeah. Like, the physical actually going to that many places, but also the emotional of, like, could I see myself living here? Mm. Or do I need, now do I need to make a decision right this second? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm nosy, so I don't mind the actual looking through people's houses and, like, being nosy and running the tap and being like, ooh, what's in this cupboard? But, yeah, the actual, like, physical going around, like, the one we did on Saturday, we did six but they were spaced out so annoyingly that mean we had like these massive gaps in between them so we started at 9 30 and we only finished like i got home at 3 30 it's a long time to just be driving around when i would rather be doing a something million else. other things that are far more interesting yeah it just yeah. takes out a whole day of your weekend um so yeah i'm looking forward to not doing that this weekend um how about you how's your week you've had a cracker <laughs> Um, so frantic, best the best adjective, hundred percent mm-hmm. frantic. Just like work stuff of like annoying meetings or like whatever. When I feel like my mental state isn't necessarily like I was feeling a bit frantic anyway. So mm. something that otherwise I would have been resilient enough to just be like, yeah, I'm fine. But just some fucking interactions <laughs> <laughs> in the office with miscellaneous man, like the one who thinks that. You and yeah. our other two colleagues are all interchangeable, and you can just Literally. use the same name. Literally. And then, so accuse me of being someone else, and then me being like, oh, no, no, that's not me. And then him thinking I was another different person, also not me. Yeah, and discovered that, yeah, three three of us apparently are completely interchangeable. But the, the and that's fine, you know, maybe he has face blindness, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the reaction to it, when corrected, was anger on his part. Yeah. Annoyance that I'm not who he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Which is just, you know, I've said it before, I say it again, the audacity. The audacity. That I find myself wanting to like work from home a bit more. And that sucks because I like the vibe of our office. I like the vibe of our team. Like I really like working with you. But you know, when I know I'm coming to the office, you have to have to have a certain level of resilience to deal with that kind of like faff. I'm just like, mm. yeah, this keeps me lost me, made to stay away. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen you this week actually, today. Because you went in on Monday, I wasn't in on Tuesday, and all Wednesday. So. Yeah, I wasn't in yesterday either. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, see, see? Yeah, I know. Miss you. That's why it's so miserable when we're not together. No, love actually. <laughs> so like, we can't go to the kitchen six times in the day. Yeah, and then get annoyed when we have, like, the worst designed kitchen on the... Sh- like, I, li- I think they did it for a bet. Like, you can't... <laughs> if you want to get a teaspoon, you're blocking the fridge. Mm-hmm. So, instantly... There's one tiny sink. Yeah, and... People have no spatial awareness. No, 
we were just in there before and a man was trying to put something in the bin and just the, sh- the mere act of trying to put something in the bin meant that he was crossing streams with us the whole time and it was this weird dance and it's just like the whole thing is terrible no one wants it it's the worst kitchen it's the worst building I hate this building the building well, time well, forgot if, if redacted spent more money on redacted <laughs> looking after their stuff instead of putting voices in the lift which is today's biggest development Fucking weird I mean accessible Maybe. Sure. But so you can barely hear good. it. No, so you that's can't. Not and it's not consistent. It's no. not every lift and it's not every trip. Also, I don't know if you've noticed, but when the arrows now come on, they just point up regardless of whether you're going no, up or down. Well, one lift is broken and it does up for down and down uh, for up. Yeah. See, so it's we don't have, the show. don't have functioning lifts, no. but they've decided to put in voice control, well, voice directions. Anyway, we're getting off cool, topic. Yeah. Let's um, um, talk so, about it. This is the Christmas special of season one, mm. and we'll open with the Beckdale thoughts. Oh, you should do an episode summary first, don't you think? Oh, fuck, I should. Yeah. yeah, sorry. No, I was obviously getting to that. So the Christmas invasion, this is Christmas special of season one. It's Christmas Eve, and high above London, the alien Sycorax are holding the Earth for ransom. The Tenth Doctor must recover from his regeneration in time to save the human race from slavery. Mm. <gasps> Very dramatic. Yeah, so Bigdale test. Does it pass? Because all Jackie and Rose talk about is the Doctor. Yeah, okay, so that is in my notes. But I was thinking maybe Harriet Jones and Sally? Oh, yeah, Sally. Sally. Like, it's a very brief... I mean, she's named. Yeah. It's brief interaction. And I think... I mean, because Harriet Jones talks about the Doctor a lot as well, but I think in that moment they're talking about, like, the human humanity and aliens and peril and... And this man's probe that he sent out or yeah. satellite or wherever it was yeah i think that would pass and i feel like harriet also yeah. she is around doing things yeah yeah so i think that the sentiment is there of like there's women just doing stuff but it is all a lot, a lot of women are just waiting for the doctor this episode is waiting for the doctor <laughs> to be conscious poor doctor and david Tennant is first real outing he just spends most of it asleep in his pajamas <laughs> but i do think you know general like Overall observation, I think this is a really good setup for the kind of doctor that Tina's going to be. Like, they really just lay it all out in the first outing, right? Like, he's funny, he's got the banter, he's going to be quite, like, physical, he's quite a physical actor, but he's also having this undercurrent of, you know, no second chances. Stone cold motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a great assessment. And... I'd forgotten how quickly it sets that vibe for him. Mm. But I think, yeah, it's absolutely, yeah. Which is really cool for a show generally, but also it's just him in the role. Like, he's like, he's ha- he has a clear idea, maybe through direction and writing, but also probably from his own kind of personal, what he wants to do with it. Like, mm. from the outset, like, this is the Doctor I'm going to be. Yeah. And that I think that's quite a cool motif through this episode, that, like, him working out what kind of man he is mm. as he physically becomes the man he's going to be. Yeah. Um, and he approaches yeah. every interaction sort of like, I don't know how I'm going to react, so let's find mm. out. It's, it's really cool to see that kind of self-awareness and self-reflection. I mean, interesting mm. as well to see how Rose struggles with that because I thought, you know, when I was trying to come up with a discussion question for this episode, there was part of me that thought about, you know, we could go into the whole when you change your physical appearance, when you change your physical outward body, what does that mean for other people? How do they perceive you? Do they view you as someone completely different just because you've altered mm-hmm. how you present yep. when you are arguably still the same person, yep. you know? But then I thought maybe that wasn't our place to have a conversation like that. So I've gone instead for something very close to my heart, which is a topic about burnout, because the doctor is very um, 
literally burnt out in this and he's unconscious for a lot of it. And as a, an add-on to that kind of emotional labor, which is predominantly done by women, like Rose does a lot of heavy lifting in this, you know, she's doing all the emotional labor trying to get the doctor through this and she thinks he's basically dead. But it made me think about how, you know, through the COVID pandemic, we've really had a lot of conversations recently in the public consciousness about burnout and people just feeling very over everything, but also how that has predominantly affected women. Like men are burnt out too. Everyone's having a tough time. But more women are struggling with burnout. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they are still doing more emotional labor, more child caring, more household maintenance than the men in their lives are. So they wear a lot more weight, basically. Just um, mental load is quite large for women. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's a great topic. It's an interesting angle to take on it. Yeah, because obviously the doctor literally spends most of this episode unconscious because he's wearing such a physical cost of mm-hmm. that. And I think how it's interesting, this is kind of sidebar, but it's interesting how they say, you know, he has all his memories, he knows, but he hasn't experienced it through that body. So mm. he's like, these eyes will see things differently. So it's like a cool kind of layer to that. Uh, but yeah, no, I completely agree. Like Rose is doing, like Mamie Notes is just, she's so fucking sad. Yeah. Like, She's so sad because A, she thinks the doctor is like kind of fucked and she needs him to like to help this disaster that's happening to humanity. But she is actively grieving for Nine. Yeah. The beginning of this episode, like it's, she's showing this loss as like the loss of a really significant partner because that's what he has been to her. And it's kind of an interesting conversation around whether we judge that as like, oh, does that mean it was romantic? And I want to shy away from that because just because something's a significant loss doesn't mean it was a romantic loss. No, it was a heavy emotional connection it, regardless of romance. It does, so, exactly, absolutely. Yeah. It could be just because they were extremely close. I yeah. I personally have always struggled with Rose's reaction in this episode. I think she's being way too dramatic. I'm like, he's right there. Why can't you make this leap that he is the same person? Like, why can't you just wait before you you've just decided basically that you've lost this person but you don't actually know you don't know what's happened you you saw him transform before your eyes and you've still decided that you've lost him i i find that really difficult to reconcile but i suppose maybe that is just her character i think so but you say that's because that's a great point i feel like it is a little bit out of character for how we've seen her mm. i don't know I mean, people don't always act in, you know... The way you think they're going to... Yeah, absolutely, and we have only kind of one snapshot. Like, we know through the season that we've seen only a portion of their adventures and... Yeah, I don't know. But she is very... And she's very taking much of that grief personally. Like, he's left me. Yeah. When he's right there. Like, and I get the fact that he's unconscious is, like, very difficult because she needs him in this moment. The Earth needs him in this moment. So in that sense, it is like he is letting her down. But I don't know. The way she reacts just seems very disproportionate. To me, to the situation mm. at hand. But. Oh, well, I'd like to tap into kind of your earlier topic option. How much she's then linking Nine to his appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, there's, a lot of a, there's a lot of emotion there. Like, and even a lot, of, a lot of emotion. Like, David Tennant does a lot of, like, I am in horrific physical pain acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the topic of emotional labor as well, Jackie, right? So I just wanted to give a shout out to poor Jackie, who was decorating for Christmas. She's bought Rose a present. She doesn't know if Rose is even alive. The last time they saw her, she went off in a tizzy. Haven't heard from her since. Who knows how long it's been? We don't know when that happened. No, we don't at all. So now it's Christmas and she's just preparing the, the loss and the weight of that, right? But even then, when Rose is like, we have to get in the TARDIS, it's the only safe place. Jackie's the one who's like, we're going to need food. She's the one doing yeah, the yeah. prep. And like, she yeah. gets kind of derided for that. But that is 
the kind of thing that mothers think about. Yeah. So I remember the first time I became aware of like emotional labor or the emotional workload was probably in 2017 when Harper's Bazaar ran the story called Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up. And I remember this specifically because my friend who I worked with was having an argument with her husband and it was about the pro- what I like to call the project management of the household. Yep. And he obviously wasn't getting it. And then I saw this article and I remember sending it to her and she then sent it on to him to try and explain what she was talking about because in this article this woman gives this the author gives this example that for mother's day she asked for a house cleaning service because she didn't actually care about the clean but the thought of going through the admin getting quotes finding the time making sure that she was home to deal with it was too much and that's what she wanted off her plate and the clean was kind of like a bonus her husband got one quote when that's too expensive i'll just do the clean couldn't be asked to do all the admin that she would have done get more quotes whatever then of course on mother's day he was like you look after the kids while i clean the house like while i clean the bathroom so she then had to take on the child care the kids were like making a mess so she had to clean it up and then the husband got shitty that she wasn't like appreciative of his efforts that he's done for her for mother's day because she was like then picking up his laundry that he had stepped over twice that day and then it's the thing like, you should just tell me. If you want me to put away my laundry, just tell me. And she's like, I want a partner with equal initiative than me. I don't want to tell you what to do because that's part of the labor. Which is not a concept that I had really ever thought of prior to reading this article. But once you see it, you cannot unsee it. And this labor falls disproportionately to women, even in the workplace. Women are often the ones who have to organize the catering, book the meeting room, do all these things that just aren't seen oh mate i feel that fucking article in my bones hey so that's something that's definitely come up in multiple long-term relationships with men that i've had to varying levels like often like they're you know i don't typically end up in relationships with assholes like these guys aren't assholes. Yeah, no, no. it's just that they will be like oh okay like happy to split the tasks 50 50 but I'm doing the project management. I'm the one who decides when the cleaning needs to be done. I'm like, okay, well, you do that and I'll do this. And I'm the one who thinks about, like, restocking all the cleaning supplies Mm -hmm. or, like, toilet roll or, like, I call it, like, household management. Yeah, that's what she calls it as well. I literally do, like, household management. So she says, you know, my husband is a good man and a good feminist ally. I could tell as I walked him through it that he was trying to grasp what I was getting at, but he didn't. He said he'd try to do more of the cleaning around the house. He restated that all I ever needed to do was ask for him, but therein lies the problem. I don't want to micromanage housework. I want to partner with Equal Initiative. And she also says, you know, the conversation about the imbalance of emotional labor becomes emotional labor. And she's worried about the example that sets to her kids. Because, for example, her son will be like, I tidied my room. Give me a gold star. Whereas her daughter will just do that work. Will just tidy her room and not expect. Because that's they see the modeled behavior. And then I was reading the study about came out in 2020. One, about why women are more burnt out than men. It's from the UN, and it references a range of studies because there's a lot of studies been done recently um, off the back of the pandemic about burnout. And there were 74% of 5,000 Americans surveyed. 74% of women said they were very stressed out. 23% of women, of mothers, are more likely to experience burnout than fathers in paid employment due to the unequal demands of home and work. And there's also, I think it said, let me just find it, because it was quite a damning stat. More than 860,000 women dropped out of the US workforce compared to just over 200,000 men. Because schools and childcare facilities have shut, women have gone, it's too hard to balance work and childcare, I'll just drop out of the workforce. So 860,000 women, that's a lot, right? And it's something I was wanted to raise with you. 
is that it talks about it discourages future generations from setting ambitious professional goals, especially if they want to start a family. Because women go, I'm just not going to, like, it's not worth it. It's not worth trying to be ambitious. I'm just going to burn out. I can't have it all, you know, quote, unquote. And it made me think, because we have had conversations about how we don't want to climb the career ladder because there's no point. There's no point doing that to yourself if you're not actually going to get any benefit. But that behavior in itself exasperates. Exacerbates. Exasperates. That's the one. Um, The inequalities in the workplace, because if women aren't in the workforce, then these inequalities in pay, these inequalities in leadership will never get addressed. We'll just stay at this like low level entry level because we've got all these other things going on so it's just like a never-ending cycle of doom yeah and it perpetuates and then we get comments like oh well you know women just don't put themselves forward for those kind of roles and it's like yeah no because they can't they just be are fucking tired and a lot of yeah a lot of these studies go on to say that you know companies need to and businesses need to work harder to make the workplace more attractive to women especially to mothers and all these things but i would argue that it's actually not the workplace this is a structural issue because the house needs to become more equal as well it's the the household that's also the problem that's adding to the stress and that you see this in all these quotes from these women in these studies where like the husband claims he will help with help you with the housework why do you have to help it's not her task but it's the default it's the woman's work and that you know like you raised the point before about dads being like babysitting their kids yeah like it's the fault that the woman will yeah so maybe you're right maybe we just need a re like a radical reworking of how we live yeah because it's not you know you're not helping you are living in this house as well so why does one it doesn't make sense Mm. it doesn't make sense to think of it like that and just trying to reframe the business or the 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 corporate environment is not enough because the household is still unequal because well, it's yeah. pa- the patriarchy. Well, yeah. Well, and it, that just reminds me of, you know, this very well-known phrase to describe what women do, whether they have children or not, but mm. of, of when they have children, of the second shift. Yes. So, yeah. you know, we can't, it's very rare now that you can run a household on one income. So you have, to, you know, women typically going to work um, mm-hmm. with their partner also working, and then they get home and do a whole fucking sec- second shift of unpaid labor. Yeah, and there's this claim that, you know, flexible working is great for women and particularly mothers because it means they can work from home and they save time on commuting and all these things. But this a Deloitte survey of women at work, 2022 Global Outlook survey, noted that um, 94% of women believe that requesting flexible working affect their likelihood of promotion and 90% believe their workloads won't be adjusted accordingly to their flexible working options. Additionally, women who have reduced or changed hours during the pandemic or work from home have paid a high price, less likely to be involved or promoted, and just have the same mental health outcomes because they're still doing all the work. But now they're just actually not... Because you're out of sight, out of mind, so now you're actually not even being considered for opportunities. And people think because you're not in the office, you're not working. We see that all the time. Yeah, I know. It's because they're fucking dinosaurs and need to get with the program, but Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot here. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to even kind of unpick. Like, obviously, you're totally right. Like, it's structurally coming from patriarchal ideas of I'm the man, I get the money, I bring Mm. that into the home, and I provide you with money. And for that, you, as typically the female partner, will then run the household cook the food, clean the clothes, look after the kids, bear the children, look after the children. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. that's your job, as it were. And then, obviously, through the through the you know 20th century, uh, the way we live and the way we work and, like, women in the workplace made some fantastic gains. 
Um, so women are going to work too, but yeah, like the, that workload isn't going. Yeah, and I mean, like yeah. this idea that women should stay. Well, I'm not saying people say that, but you know that women were running the household, and that's your job, quote unquote. Then pay them. Yeah, this is it because it's unpaid labor. Yeah, so if you have a wife at home who is you expect to run the household, you should pay her for that. Like, and even stay at home mothers, that's a massive job. They should also be paid for that, but it's not. It's not valued, right? Like, I have a friend. She is a stay-at-home mum, and she's worried about her superannuation because she's not getting money paid into her retirement. So when she retires, what happens? Like, only her husband has got a retirement fund. That doesn't mean her work is any less valuable. She still does a lot. No, and the idea of that fucking terrifies me from an independence perspective because, yeah, I'm sure her and her husband are rock fucking solid, but you never know. Mm. And what if he leaves or she, you know, leaves that relationship or equally if she decides it's not for her? Yeah. Or does she have some kind of golden handcuff situation that, you know, is financial stability for her, you know, less of an option? And so how many people stay in marriages because, especially back in the day, because they didn't have the money to leave? Yeah, and I mean, if you have... I've got friends here as well who stopped working when their kids were young because childcare is so expensive Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to weigh it up like the cost of living is you know hard so you might as well just stay home and look after the children because it's going to be cheaper than trying to work if you're spending all your pay just to get to work and pay for childcare it doesn't that doesn't add up you know but then that traps women it limits their opportunities it limits their social life as well like one of the main factors contributing to women's burnout according to the study is the fact that their social lives are now so small because so much home maintenance are falling to them with the pandemic as well they had to stay home more because all the childcare options were non-existent and this disproportionately affects women it, like men do not have these concerns broad brush but also women are more likely to be single parents yep yeah yeah absolutely so yeah if we apply that to this episode <laughs> You know, Rose is doing all the heavy lifting. She's, like, trying to get him out of the TARDIS, trying to get him help. She's... Yeah, yeah. and I wouldn't even... I mean, maybe this is a great point to bring up Harriet Jones. Mm. So, love Harriet Jones. Mm-hmm. She's back on the back in the show after a cracking episode as MP. Fly down off. Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Yeah. We know who you I are. <laughs> um, okay, so, acknowledging she's the Prime Minister, so, like, she needs to be in charge. That's mm-hmm. her job. But... The way she's really taking, you know, far and beyond taking control of that situation. Everybody doesn't really know what to do until she comes in and she's like, okay, this is what needs to happen. But, you know, to the nice Welsh scientist. Mm. And she's like, I bet no one's even offered you a coffee. Yeah. So, you know, we're meant to be like, oh, is she, you know, she's shown as like motherly as well as, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I have seen this in action is the idea that you still need to be approachable because things, Mm. if you're a female leader, and especially if you're running a country, as we're seeing now with the Santa Martin stuff, very different expectations and allowances being made for you so you can't be a ball busting kind of just carry on you have to be very nurturing and caring about others and like being outwardly seen to be accommodating and compassionate otherwise yeah well you're just not well i know but then you can't fucking like they will find a way to take you down either way because we see that with jacinda ardern who's you know she very much um, leads from a perspective of kindness and compassion. And then, you know, lots of people have issues with that. Or, or <laughs> just saying that it's comparable to weakness. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I do think it's interesting that Harriet is just like, yeah, I'll speak for the whole earth. I feel like there would have been bigger conversations about who the ruler of the planet is. Like, it wouldn't just be like, yeah, let the UK handle it. There would have been crisis meetings. 
Yeah, like UK. I mean, cool that you think that that would have happened, but like you do you. I think yeah. And I mean, Jackie even trying to look after the doctor is quite sweet in this. Like, she calls him sweetheart and she's like, what do you need? And she's trying. And I mean, they had quite a combative relationship with Nine. So the fact that she's kind of like trying to be. Or, yeah, she's just all over the show in a very Jackie way. Um, Yeah, that she had like that, you're you're completely right, that far more kind of confrontational relationship with Nine. But then even like just totes and approps too. (laughs) Like when um, Rose and Mickey put him in the bed. And then they explain that he's got two hearts. Then Jackie says, um, what else? anything else he's got two of? <laughs> it's like, what? He's asleep. He's unconscious. He's gravely ill. Are you gonna? You love an inappropriate comment, though. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> yeah. Captain of the innuendo squad. And also, she just handles it a lot better. Like, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so he's changed his face. Sure. She, like, she doesn't... I feel like she handles it a bit better than... Rose does. And Rose has that interesting point where she says, I thought I knew him. I keep forgetting he's human. Like, it's a betrayal of her trust, the fact that he's done this thing, right? Like, it's... Oh, she's taking it very personally. But it's also, like, nothing about... Like, this is just how, as a Time Lord, he is. Yeah. He regenerates. This is the tenth time he's regenerated. And I suppose he wouldn't even have thought to, like, this is a thing I need to tell someone. Because he wasn't planning on dying, right? No, he wasn't. But also, like... Maybe could have given a heads up, and that's his MO to be like, the humans don't need to know, it's fine, whatever. But also, if that's just part of your physiology, yeah, like, like breathing, why do you, are you need gonna, to. Mm, yeah, okay. Why do you have to explain your existence to someone else? Um, also, Jackie just stealing from a medical student's equipment, like, that's a bit rude. We're into obviously random observation. Oh, yeah, yeah, random <laughs> observation. Far out. I've got a lot. Teleporting Santas. Flame-throwing yeah. trumpets. Killing rotating Christmas, Christmas trees. It reminds me of the, of, in car, oh, yeah. car washes, the deathly spinners. <laughs> okay, now we have to talk about Harriet Jones's right-hand man. Alex AKA Garcia. Adam Garcia. Yeah. From Coyote Ugly. Yeah, and a good Australian. Australian. <laughs> yeah, straight away I was like, oh, I fucking know you. And then I googled it, and it, yeah, it's him from Cody Ugly. But he, oh, he's trying, but the effort to cover up that Aussie accent is patchy at best. I mean, he doesn't have to. There are lots of Australians working in <laughs> no, the UK. No, but he's like trying to be terribly English, but being like quite Crocodile Dundee at times. Love a bit of Adam Garcia. Um, J- <laughs> Mickey coming and being like, I'm going to use your phone line, because of course the internet was quite different back in 2005, 2006. I'm like, oh my God, imagine if we still yeah. had to do that. Okay, let's just talk about Mickey for a second. Mickey the like, Hacker. Yeah, oh my god, Mickey the Hacker. So, like, Rose turns up again, and as always, Mickey and Jackie have this oh, bizarre sixth sense for hearing the TARDIS when no one else can hear it. A multiple, you know, piece at work. But anyway, whatever, they can always hear it. I choose to believe that the TARDIS is, like, it's like in, in their, their heads. heads. Okay, mm. maybe that's true. But, like, she's back. Everyone's like, yay, Mickey does some kind of token or, like, oh, you've been gone. I didn't know you were coming back. But then they're, like, going around town in the evening, holding hands, super lovey. And, like, it's not that she can't pursue multiple relationships at the same time at all. It's more just, like, every time they have an interaction, Mickey's, like, keep fucking leaving me like I don't know where we are and then she's like oh but I'm into you but now I have to go and then she comes back and it's like fuck there's no repeat there's no resolution this is the thing because they have that Mm. massive fight at the end of Boomtown where he just like she runs off he leaves there's no resolution to that and then the next time they meet she's in this really traumatized state because the doctor has sent her back again no resolution to that and then they rock up here and he's like on a date (laughs) in town he's like can't you just like focus on me I'm We've had no resolution no. to any of that previous conversations. I don't understand. 
Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of toxic. Like, I don't think either of them's happy with that, but, like, they're just not dealing with it because they don't want to. No. Or, and I think because Rose fundamentally doesn't want to give Mickey what he wants, which is for her to come back and be with him. Yeah. Like, be quite unhappy in their London life. Yeah, and we just, you know... Mickey just hacking the military satellite. <laughs> Since when is Mickey a hacker? I feel like this is very convenient that he's just turned out to be a hacker. This is the thing that I quite find entertaining in Doctor Who is like, they know that they're working to 45 minutes, so they will be like, I mean, plot-wise, let's just cut some corners. <laughs> like, in the last episode, we saw that with Captain Jack, like, just MacGyvering whatever they he's needed. The at this, like, deus ex machina, be like, okay, cool, because, you know. We just have to infer that... Yeah. yeah, whatever. Zombified humans on the edges of very high things. Extremely bad CGI of landmarks. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I love that we all got... the high things of all the random landmarks of the world. <laughs> we got all Co- on the Colosseum. And, yeah, the Colosseum was bizarre because there's no way that you can even get, like, why would people just wander into the no, Colosseum? And, and I, I don't think like the humans were out of scale. Yeah, like, they to were the size so... Of... They were so big. To the size of the Colosseum. My favourite was when they showed France and this woman was wearing a beret. <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah. Wow, way They're too like, stereotyped. That's the France scene. Who's got <laughs> costume? Do you have a beret? And they were like, we've got, like, strings of garlic, too. And I'm like, no, that's too much. <laughs> that's too We've got a stripy, a stripy boat neck. Oh, my gosh. And then yeah. they have all the London landmarks as well. Like, yeah, every yeah, single yeah. one. We've got yeah. Parliament. We've got Nelson's Column. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. you got to know where you are. <laughs> Please, can we talk about this whole thing of... Oh, and we've seen it before, but this whole, like, saviour, the Doctor is saviour. Like, he is... That's what he does. Like, I get that. Mm. But, like give some other people some agency but like it gets to the point where like with the cigarettes they're straight up fucked yeah 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 and also like the PM does the speech it's like the Queen's speech has been cancelled where yeah, are they yeah. on the roof but you know the idea that she would go on TV or any Prime Minister would go on television and ask for help admit that they don't have anything or can't do anything and don't know what to do and just be like doctor if you're out there no world leader would do that can you imagine the panic that yeah. would cause it's, it's actually kind of irresponsible because, like, what? People are just going to be like, we're fucked. And, it's like, going to be riots. With yeah. the, you're like, you Looting. think the world's ending. I also, I don't really like how the Sycorax's video is It's very much a terrorist hostage video. The way it is filmed, the colouring, it felt very, like, pointedly Taliban. And in 2005, that is close to fucking home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, no, that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, so then the doctor turns up and it's like, oh wow, he completely diffuses everything and apparently he's immune to the electrified Indiana Jones whip. The electric whip. (laughs) And then we have, quite possibly in the history of television, the hammiest sword fight anyone has ever seen. And I really hope that David Tennant didn't spend a lot of time in fight training for that. I forgot he lost his hand. Oh, yeah. Also, no blood. Was it? Is it electrified? Is it immediately cauterized? Cauterized. It's a lightsaber. But luckily, he's in the first 15 hours of regeneration. So, and the hand comes back later. It becomes a thing later. I do love all his quips, though. It's so good. You know, not bad for a man. And his gym chan's always like, why is there an apple in this dressing ground? Does he get hungry in his sleep? It's just like... Later on, Satsuma. Yeah, Analogy about Christmas and a Satsuma. Also, just the Lion King reference. It's brilliant. And, you know, it's very British that he gets revived by tea. I feel like that is a lovely yeah. Christmassy thing. Tea gives life, my friend. I drink, like, two litres of it a day. And, I've got, you know, no second chances. I'm not that sort of Ooh, man. Okay, Great so this, delivery. So the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a whole bit that I have, which is, you know, so he's working out what kind of man he is. And, like, just like you said at the, at the, at the top of the app, that we get this, like, quite whimsical, quite, like, frenetic, quite, like, 
light-hearted, like, you take Lex to fucking joke around and take the piss. Mm-hmm. But actually, he has this really dark streak. And we see flashes of that. So, you know, the no second chances, I'm that kind of man. And when Harriet Jones yeah. decides to go fucking postal, and despite the fact that truce has happened, she kills the cigarettes, and then, yeah, he is so angry. Yeah, he's got a very hard boundary, like a very hard line, yeah. right? And, like, if you cross that line, he's not going to think back. And he also has no qualms to get back at you in whatever way. Like, he is... Six word. Kind of Just fucking... Just six word. I mean, and is petty like the right word? I mean, she did kind of fuck up, but also, like, there's ways and means. And he immediately hones in on exactly her weakness as an older woman. And also, but you know, that that has always stuck with me that he's chosen that particular... Like, yes, he is hitting the weakness that is going to cause the most devastation that's actually going to, you know, I can take mm. down your government with just six words. But it is fucked up that those six words, yeah. the impact yeah, that they that do, works. right? Yeah. Because, you know, assistant Adam Garcia must have gone and, and been like, oh, the doctor did think she was looking tired. Don't you think she looks tired? Great delivery, Jones, though. Straight is amazing. It's fucking amazing. But then Harriet Jones goes to me and is like, what did he say? And he's like, nothing. He didn't say and anything. Then, but it doesn't tell her either. But minutes later, like, well, I mean, a couple of hours later, she's on television being asked by reporters, being like, mm. are you unfit for office? There's a vote of no confidence. The way that it has spread so quickly. Well, and also part of that might be the whole live broadcast of we're totally fucked someone come up and turn up and say which was kind of unfresh and also like, she's gone been zapped up come back with two you know you've lost two important members of this team first appearance of unit by the way for in our modern series of who based in the tower of london the audacity of men like that military guy whose name i've forgotten who's like even you must have articles of war I'm like they don't care they're just gonna kill you and then they do it's quite Shakespearean, though, that sword fight, don't you think? Like, amateur oh, no. hour, but Shakespeare. Oh, no, it is. It's like GCSE, yeah. you know, GCSE level, like, we're doing Hamlet. <laughs> so it's funny. Like... Slow-mo. Yeah. That was the fa- my favourite bit. I just, oh my god. Oh my god. I always think when people use slow-mo because there's an episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is a <laughs> deep cut reference. But where they do a lot of slow-mo and they're like, yeah, whenever we have time to fill in an episode, you just do slow-mo and that adds like 10 minutes to your episode. So when I see slow-mo on TV, I'm like, well, they must have had time to fill. It's weird that Harriet decides to take the action. Like, I get that she wants to look strong, but, you know, the Doctor has set up this thing being like, go tell the stars it is defended. It's actually quite good for them to go away and tell people, like, this is what happened. We tried to take the Earth. Actually, it was a big mistake. Never go there. They're horrible people. And then she just blows mm. them up instead. So that message never gets out there. But it also begs the question, is violence as defense ever justified? Well, yeah. I mean, all of the above. And I, I kind of read it as she's been fucking hurt. And she will not put it past anyone to come up on you when you least expect it and get revenge. And she probably has massive trust issues. Mm. So that whole trust, that whole truce thing, she's like, no, I don't fucking, like, it's too big a risk. And if the doctor's not here next time, what then? Yeah, can she depend on the man to save her? Maybe not. I wonder if she was still on the ship and she got the call that Torchwood was ready, do you think she still would have taken the shot? Because I think she would have, she would have sacrificed herself, be like, yeah, blow up the ship. Yeah, straight up, I think she would have, yeah. But I think she would have not hesitated to put the other humans that she was with in the path of that as well. Yeah, no, same. Which is the right call. You know, if you can save a, po- a planet versus just, like, ten people, like, 
go for it. It just reminded me that there's that whole bit where the doctor comes out of the TARDIS and does his little soliloquy and like the Sycorax just stand around while this is happening. I know, that it's like, let's wait for him to finish his piece. It reminds me of James Bond, yeah. when it's like, I could kill you easily now, but I, me as the you know nemesis will explain my plot to you in your dying moments, giving you a chance to escape from the laser aimed at your crotch. Convenient exposition. <laughs> right? Or they're like, you've been tied up and this thing will kill you in five minutes' time and we're all going to leave. We've set this fuse to burn slowly yeah. so you have time to think about what you've Just done. Just like fucking two in the chest, one in the head. Come on. Just like get it done. Be efficient. We have no time for this. Stop being theatrical and be efficient. You know I love the drama, but come on. Efficiency is my middle name. Oh, well. Wardrobe in the TARDIS. I know. You promised me. You promised me I would find out the answer to my question of what about all the costume changes? And, and there's so many little nods to like the past of who in there as well. You've got ties, you've got the scarf. So you could pick up all these little costuming things if you were a massive Whovian, which I barely am. Like, I don't know. No, I'm like... I know the scarf. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, and so we see him. So maybe this is a good time to go to uh, standout moments. What is your standout moments? The TARDIS wardrobe is yeah. my standout moment. I just love when we get to see more of the interior of the TARDIS because, you know, this is the place where they spend all this time. Like, it's a massive ship that they live their lives on, essentially. And it's cool to see different sides and also just, yeah, it's nice to see him go through that and, like, try to pick the things that suit his personality. It's quite sweet. Yeah. Um, I really want to see where they sleep. First of all, do Time Lords sleep? Don't know. And I'm equally shipping that they either both share a massive bed or bunk beds i assume it's bunk beds i really would like, like it to be bunk beds just have bunk beds yeah and fine. like so when captain jack was there there was like three bunk beds and they all just like had a bunk bed each i'm kind of imagining it like um you know a navy ship or something and they've got oh yeah. yeah but like there's so much room mm. you think they'd have like palatial suites each yeah bedroom each maybe maybe the tardis just adds on as needed just goes. It's like the room yeah. of requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just keeps crying. Yeah, an interior of requirement. Yeah, my other standout thing is just I love how Bantry Tanner's. I love like he's so lively and quick, and yeah, he's just good value, you know. And you, this is definitely what you're going to see as we keep going. Like he just brings a lot of lols and a lot of energy while still taking things really seriously. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly it. That's exactly the balance. And Am I I've rude? forgotten how cool it was. I've forgotten how good a doctor he was. Yeah, really. Like it's a very different energy. It's yeah, and I think you're right. It, it comes from him knowing exactly what he wants to bring to the role and what he wants to do with it. But like even that delivery, like the delivery of the lines, right? He is like, just a great actor, straight up. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we've talked about a few of my standard moments already, but I'll recap. Mm-hmm. I love the Welsh scientist man. He's grand. Harriet Jones, prime minister. It's just hilarious. Yes, we know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> David Tennant swamped in Christopher Eccleston's clothes. That's cute. It's hilarious. And you realise, like, David Tennant is really, is quite a small framed man mm. with no judgement, but he is quite physically very different. In need of a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Jen's type. Emo dudes in need of a sandwich. <laughs> Correct. No lies detected. <laughs> I've watched the bonus episode of The Sandman last night. I haven't seen them and yet. And Tom Sturridge's turns up in it and his voice turns up in one app and mm. yeah and fuck that man's voice as Saruman is just beautiful he's done it he's really nailed the voice he's really hey. nailed, so I don't know I haven't read the you know but obviously it's books, so you don't know what the voice is but like I don't know how much of it is I think that's just his voice it's no just I like, think it's affectation I've listened oh. to him in interviews and he does not sound like that because it's like deep like it's really and I said this to my partner I was watching it with he, it's really deep for like a mm. slender guy like yeah. normally like so I think he is trying to lean into yeah, that yeah definitely um 
But it still fuck. If you up. read the graphic novel as well, like Morpheus's words is often like heavier outlined. The a gravity to it. The um speech the, t- the speech bubbles have like these dripping oh. qualities to them that you don't get in other characters' so speech bubbles. Like, so you get this, this idea like, that it's gravity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think Ooh. he's he's a great Morpheus. I think he's really nailed it. I think the whole Netflix thing is just fantastic. The silhouette that he has the way they've executed it no, is it's just amazing. chef's kiss amazing. So this entire tangent that everyone has accidentally got into was because that Tom Sturridge epitomizes an emo man in need of a sandwich. He's still my Edward Cullen. I said it in fucking 2005 or whenever that we were dreamcasting oh, Edward Cullen. Really? I was like, Who'd Tom Sturridge. Who would have been a fucking he's the, age as Edward, he's the same age as Robert Pattinson. They went to school together. Oh, damn. But he yeah. has, like, I can dig out my blog from 2005 <laughs> if I need to as proof. <laughs> But now I'm like, you see? You see, people? Because you know I'm anti-Robert Patterson. <laughs> you know, I don't like him either. Cool. So my last standout moment is just Jackie saying, save us a chipolata <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> so for the Americans, a chipolata is a very small sausage typically enjoyed at Christmas time wrapped in bacon. And you make pigs in blankets. It's delicious. Which is weird because it's like pig meat wrapped in pig meat, which is a little bit like cannibalistic. But yeah, it is. It's classic. Of the British Christmas tradition, <laughs> and those tiny sausages are called chipolatas. So that's why she's like. And I feel like maybe we should explain that tsetsumas are somehow also a British like a oh, Christmas yeah, tradition. Oh yeah, you always get an orange in your stocking. Yeah, I think it's because back in the day, like Victorian times onwards, it's very Dickensian. Like an orange was like extremely fancy, and it would be very expensive. And so at Christmas time, you might get one mm. in your stocking, and you'd be like, "What citrus?" Because it's come from like the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, of course, you can get a chocolate orange. Yeah, Terry's. Mm. Um, Just because I think that there's a nice little layer when he's like got a satsuma yeah, and yeah, the satsuma yeah, yeah. saves yeah. the day, sort of at the end. It's yeah. like it's a nice little nod because it is very English, and we have to remember that. Like Doctor Who is British, it, yeah, you know. It is the tea, the satsumas, etc. Mm. I mean, I solve a lot of my day to day issues with satsumas and tea, to be honest. Yeah, true. Especially this time of year. Yeah, well, Bit of we're in a hot woman beverage. 90% mandarin. <laughs> I love a mandarin. Well, okay then. That was fun. Our first tenant episode. Yeah. No, absolutely. I finished that one being like, oh, okay, yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of amped. Mm. I'm amped for David Tennant. And um, I feel like we didn't really call 9-9 very much, but maybe let's just start calling 10-10. It's easier. Yeah. Than being and like I mean, David Tennant. Unless also, I'm talking about the man versus the character. But. Yeah, 10. And also, he's in three seasons, so I feel like we'll have more time yeah, to, to be like 10. Yeah. Across the next however many apps. Mm. Big project. Big project. Still enjoying it, though. Happy to be here. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, on that note, next week we'll be discussing the first episode of season two, which is A New Earth. Let us know your thoughts by emailing a TARDIS of one's own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out the show notes for links and all the references we've discussed in this app. So, yeah. It would be great to get one email. If <laughs> someone's one. listening, please just be like, this is the email you requested, Sophie. And I'll be like, thank you very much. And ask you where you live. Send us in a... In a stalk away. <laughs> just you... Don't, don't, you don't have to give me your phone number, don't worry. Send us a photo of your digitally altered landscape with someone standing on the roof. Oh yeah, if you could do like just a massive cut out of your body on the Colosseum <laughs> and like a one to one ratio. <laughs> or being like, if this was to happen in your country, what would the landmark be that people would be photoshopped onto? Absolutely. Let us know. Definitely. If you're in Australia, show us lots of big things. The big pineapple, the big banana. Yeah. The big merino. I've run out of big things. 
It's your country, my friend. I know. Well, you'll be shunned. The Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> well, not much of that. Rude. It's Bleak. recovered. This, the Bleak. bleaching is improving. Uh, okay, that's good. Yeah, we're going to fix it. All right, anyway, <laughs> oh God, we're, we're going to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week unless the heat death of the universe occurs, <laughs> I guess. Cross fingers. <laughs> Bye. Bye.